Many of you are aware of the tragic story from 2015 uh, when the young self-avowed white supremacist Dylan Roof uh, shot and killed nine members of the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. A year and a half later, uh, during Dylan Roof's sentence hearing, he sat unapologetically proud of what he had done while 35 grieving relatives to the victims addressed him face to face. A number of them during his sentence hearing had understandably harsh words for him. But a number of them had some shockingly compassionate words for him. Uh, one particular relative of one of the victims that was shot and killed by Dylan Roof, Sheila Capers, after informing Roof that she was actively praying for his salvation, she even offered to visit him and to pray with him in prison if he'd be open to it. Now, what I'm saying right here is not an endorsement of Emmanuel AME Church. It's just an illustration. If Sheila Capers and those other grieving relatives were and are sincere, in their otherworldly love for Dylan Roof. My word. What a beautiful glimpse into the kind of enemy love that God's people, God's people are capable of by God's spirit. Our passage today deals with this very issue. It's a tough issue. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. We are nearly halfway through our current series, uh, reading and reflecting on and responding to Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. As you're turning to our passage, I'll give a quick review. Jesus began his sermon in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, by explaining to his disciples and the crowd of Jews gathered around him on the Mount, he explained what Christians are to look like as citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven are to be meek and merciful and pure in heart and devoted to making peace in an unrestful world. In verses 13 through 20, Jesus explained what he had come to do and what we, what citizens of heaven are to do as the salt and light of the world. And finally, beginning at verse 21 and continuing through our passage this morning, Jesus had been and is explaining the heart level intention of six Old Testament laws, commands that were being mishandled by the Jewish people. In our passage this morning, which I'm about to read, Jesus concludes this segment of his sermon by quoting from one last Old Testament command, and he urges his disciples and us to love our enemies, not unlike the way we know Sheila Capers did toward Dylan Roof during his sentence hearing. And when we love our enemies, we embody the love with which God has loved us. We extend the heavenly kindness that brought us to repentance. And we embrace the good godly life in the process. I'd invite you to follow along as I read Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Would you, would you pray with me? Father, in and of ourselves, we cannot do this. We cannot do what you require. In and of ourselves, we cannot walk in your perfections. And so we ask, we ask something that we're confident that you'll answer. Lord, by your spirit, would you instruct us and empower us that we would walk in the perfection of Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, the Lord says to Moses and to all the people of Israel, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 1,600 years later, by the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, most of the Jews were exploiting the wording of this command. They were reasoning to themselves, well, if God says to love my neighbor, that means I'm free to hate my enemies because my enemies are not in my neighborly community. Now, nowhere in Scripture does God ever tell his people to hate their enemies. I mean, the entirety of the law and prophets points in the opposite direction. Love God and love people. Love rich people, love poor people, love black people, white people, kind people, rude people. Love them. Love them all. Of all the six mishandled laws that Jesus has been and is correcting in this segment of his sermon, this one is the most troubling, I think. It's the most troubling because the Jews, with the help of their scribes and Pharisees, they had added a caveat to God's word. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. That's not God's word. In verses 43 through 45 of our passage, Jesus quotes back to them their rendition of the law. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how you've heard it taught. But I say to you, I say to you what God's word has said all along. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now to be clear, Jesus isn't saying that we must love our enemies before we can be children of God. That is impossible for us to do in and of ourselves without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. 
What Jesus is saying is that when we love our enemies, it serves as proof that we are God's children. And that is the thrust of this passage. If you wanted a quick summary statement, in fact, this is going to be our outline. When we love our enemies, we prove that we are not of this world. We prove that we are of God. That's our outline for the remainder of our time. Not only is that statement a summary of this passage, but point number one will be when we love our enemies, if you're a note taker, Point number two will be, we prove that we are not of this world. And point number three will be, we prove that we are of God. I'll repeat those as we go. Let's look at number one. When we love our enemies. It's not rocket science. We can clearly see that loving our enemies is what Jesus is commanding here in verse 45, 41, uh, 44. <laughs> Whether we are Jewish or Gentile, whether we are black or white, whether we are male or female, we are to love our enemies. What does that mean? Well, a pretty brilliant dude named the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way. You've probably all heard this if you've ever attended a wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. Love is not arrogant, it isn't rude. It isn't self-seeking, it isn't irritable or resentful. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is what it means to love and notice Notice how love is more about action than emotion. Love is more about doing than feeling. It's wonderful when we feel love for someone. When we feel love for our spouse or neighbor or a classmate or a coworker. It's wonderful when we feel love, but the feeling of love cannot dictate the doing of love. If Sheila Caper's posture toward Dylan Roof was sincere, and I'm going to assume it was. She didn't wait for her feelings to lead her actions. Instead, she prioritized her actions over her emotions. I couldn't have done that. None of us could have done that in and of our own selves, in and of our own strength. And that's why Jesus, right in the same breath, after saying and urging that we love our enemies, he urges us to pray for our enemies, for our persecutors. In the second half of verse 44, see, when we pray for our enemies, we are admitting to God, I have no natural ability to love this person. So I am coming to you for supernatural ability. Lord, I lift up to you. Insert a name there. Lord, I lift up to you so and so. He or she has hurt me. 
He or she has offended me. I don't feel love for them at all. So I ask that you would give me what I don't have, that you would give me patience and kindness and humility toward them. Keep me from rudeness. Keep me from resentment. Oh, save me from the bitter root of resentment. Keep me from affirming their wrongdoing. That's a separate sermon for today's culture because it's not loving to affirm someone in their sin. Keep me from affirming their wrongdoing. Instead, Lord, lead me by, in, and through, and for your truth, for your glory. Help me to love this person because I don't have it. I don't have it in me. I wish I were better at doing that. It's one thing to write it into a sermon manuscript. It's another thing to do it. When we pray for our enemies, if you've ever done this, God takes us from naturally unable to supernaturally able, right? Come back to that illustration at the beginning. Sheila, Sheila Keepers, uh, Capers said to Dylan Roof, I have been and am praying for you. Well, that's where that right there was the catalyst for her ability to extend to him the love of Christ and to say, Dylan, if at any point you would welcome me into the jail cell to visit you, I will come, I will be with you. Despite the fact that you've killed my loved one in cold blood and you're unrepentant, you're even proud of it. Don't answer this out loud. Questions like this never answer out loud. Who is your enemy? We all have one. And it may not be like Dylan Roof level, but we all have one. Who has grievously offended you? Might have been me. Who has hurt you? Who has persecuted you, scoffed at you, mocked you for your Christian faith? Praying for that person is how and where you begin to love them. There is no other way. When you lay their name before the throne of grace, when you take their name to the name who is above every name and cry out, the Lord has a mysterious way of bringing beauty from ashes. Lots of things that are going on in our world today that require this. Look, uh, Ukraine and Russia and political wars in many nations, including our own, racial tension, even tension within the church. You see how different denominations are dealing with different things right now, and there's just so much infighting. Look, here's the thing. I need to really, um, and we need to really stop posting and stop spouting and ranting and raving over lunch break if we aren't doing the work on our knees talking to the Lord, our God, who cares about these things. We need to just shut up. We're just all contributing to the mess of enemy hatred 
And man, I think, you know, if any of us wants to rebel against the system right now, we should pray and lift these things up before the Lord because nobody else is doing that. Point number one, when we love our enemies. Point number two, we prove that we are not of this world. Look down with me at verses 46 and 47 where Jesus rhetorically asks his disciples, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? In other words, what is proved? What is gained if you only love and embrace the easy people who are already loving and embracing you? Even the tax collectors and the Gentiles do this. Now, in order for us to feel the full effect of that statement, remember with me, a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. And at this time in Jesus' earthly ministry, Gentiles had not yet received his word and his spirit, and they were regarded as pagans. Tax collectors were Jewish, but they were working with Gentile Romans, exploiting their Jewish peers. So what Jesus is saying in verses 46 and 47, y'all, if you only love and embrace those who love and embrace you already, what makes you any different from the traitors and pagans of the world? Nothing, you're no different. You're no different from the unbelieving world. But church, we must be different. We are in the world, yes. Finish the sentence, we're not of it. The proof, or a proof, a very solid proof that you and I are not of this fallen world is when we break the mold. We break the mold of this fallen world and we start praying for and we start being patient with and we even start being kind toward those who have offended us, who have hurt us, who have persecuted us. Now the minds of Jesus' disciples have got to, they, have to be racing hearing these words Roman occupied oppressed backbiting and infighting within the people of Israel many of them were in the same boat as many of us today now let me take this just I mean we can barely I'll speak for myself first but I know that you're included in this I can barely get my act together enough to love my fellow believers my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, that's how, the, that's how the world will know that you're mine is when you love one another. Start there. Start with this. Be actually, wait for this, be patient with one another. Be kind toward each other. I wanted to bring up a Facebook thing here because I'm just so, I, I, I want Facebook to stop. We are not kind to each other on that forum. Don't be rude, don't be irritable, don't be resentful. Start with just one another. You have like everything in common with one another. If you're in Christ, you've got the Mount Everest of commonality together and yet we can barely love one another. What does that say about me on my best day when I neglect to love a fellow Christian, let alone my enemy. What on earth do I think I'm proving? What on earth do you think you're proving 
here's what we're proving according to Jesus' logic in these verses. We're, pro- we're, we're, just, we're proving out we're traitors and pagans is what we're proving. We are traitors and pagans masquerading as saints on Sundays. Sweet mercy, have mercy, Lord. We are in the world, but we mustn't be of the world. Back to our passage and to our outline. Number one, when we love our enemies. Number two, we prove that we are not of this world. Number three, we prove that we are of God. Before we can consider how we are to reflect God, let's zero in as Jesus does here on what God is like. Listen to what Jesus says about our Heavenly Father in the second half of verse 45. He makes his warm sun to rise on the evil as much as on the good. He provides his replenishing rain for the unrighteous as much as the righteous. God has every right and every power to retaliate against sinners for the dishonor they have shown to him and there will be a time of judgment but until that time, day after day after day with long-suffering, loving kindness, God radiates patience and mercy and sunshine and rainfall and provision. He emanates good news that even his enemies would receive and believe. His kindness radiates even toward those who deny him and scoff at him and mock him and hate his name. And I praise God for this because it is his kindness that led me to repentance and you to repentance. Ephesians chapter two, one of my favorite chapters in all scripture is crystal clear. You and I were once God's enemies. You and I were once entrenched in the same spirit of disobedience that right now blinds our fallen world, but God. Maybe my favorite words in all of scripture, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive in Christ. Romans 5, 8, you wanna know what love looks like? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me vamp on that. While you and I were still unregenerate, unbelieving, unrelenting, unrepentant, unremorseful, cold-hearted sinners like Dylan Roof. That's when God loved us. That's when God placed the guilt of our sins. Imagine we being Dylan Roof The guilty verdict gavel drops and then he places God the guilt of our sins on Jesus. And that's when Jesus, you know the story, while he was being nailed to the cross by his enemies, 
prayed for his enemies. Once again, Jesus is not calling his disciples nor the crowd that is on the mount nor us. He is not calling us to anything he hasn't already done. Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't even know the extent of what they're doing. They are killing me. And in the process, I am killing their sin. That is what our God is like. You won't find a God such as the God in all the world's religions. We behold him and see him and savor him and worship him. In the face of Christ, we see the love of our God. That is what our God is like now, now for us, like father, like sons, like father, like daughters. We're to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, Jesus says in verse 48. We are to reflect the perfection of our father in heaven as his citizens of heaven and not by our own merit. Not by our, no, nobody is leaving this place starting to add into the pile of all the things they're gonna gloat you know, in front of God. No, 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 not in our own merit, but Christ's merit. Not in our own righteousness, but Christ. Not in our own strength, but Christ. Not for our own namesake, but Christ's. Here's some good news. As followers of Christ, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, as followers of Christ, we have been bought and brought into a purer righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. We've already been brought in. The scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day were congratulating themselves for loving their neighbors while hating their enemies. No, in Christ, under the merciful blood of Christ, we have been bought and brought into a purer righteousness than that. As followers of Christ, washed by his blood, indwelled by his spirit, we have been empowered to obey God at the heart level. And so as we leave this place today, and we're only, we're only accountable for this present moment, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So for the remainder of this day, concerning our enemies and one another, we are not each other's enemies. It might feel like that some days. Take a big breath and pray for that rude coworker who just gets under your skin. Lord, please, please help me to love him. Breathe and be patient with your unfriendly classmate. Rejoice in God's truth, not in their wrongdoing, but that God's truth and justice will prevail. And in the meantime, here's how we love our enemies. We bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things on our knees. We're not gonna be able to do it any other way. I mean, even right this second, the person that's coming to your mind that is just hard, ah! I lift him or her up to you, Lord.
please help me. Help me to be patient and kind and humble toward them. Let me reflect the very love that you poured out on me undeserving and wretched headlong in my own sin unrepentant sitting in the guilty you know the the box and in a courtroom being pronounced guilty lord even while i was there christ died for me help me help me help me to do so and in so doing Lord, allow me to taste and to experience the good godly life because I am the prisoner when I'm just carrying around hatred for all of my enemies. I'm the one who's owned. But you freed me from that. You were pierced, you bled out, you died on the cross and right before doing so, after praying for me, you said it is finished. It's finished. I'm gonna walk in the it is finished of the cross and the exclamation point of the empty tomb. He meant what he said. When we love our enemies, we embody the love with which God has loved us. We extend the heavenly kindness that brought us to repentance and we embrace this mysterious, good, godly life that Jesus keeps pointing us toward. Let's test it this day. This day is all that we have in front of us. Let us lay the names of our enemies at the feet of him whose name is above every name and ask for him to fill us with the supernatural ability to show them love, not just, or maybe not ever, feel it. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father, I'm just going to repeat the prayer that I prayed earlier, and it's this. In and of ourselves... We cannot do what you ask and what you require. In and of ourselves, we cannot walk in your perfections. You are so perfect. And so we ask you for what you will give to us. We believe this. Give us your spirit in such measure so as to instruct us and to empower our steps that we would walk in the perfections of Jesus that have already been wrapped around us. We do not stand condemned right now if we are in Christ. And now for those of us who are in Christ, let us be empowered by your spirit to walk in the perfections that wrap around us. We pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name, amen.